chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 27. Give you a page number here just in a minute for those of you that may be using the Pew Bible, 827. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse number 1. Remember we ended in chapter 26 with Agrippa having come and heard Paul and Agrippa and Festus saying this man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Of course, they weren't willing to let him go because they didn't want the Jews on their backs, but um, they used that as an excuse to um, send Paul unto Caesar because Paul had appealed unto Caesar and got them out of a, a tight spot. I want us to pay particular attention to verse number 1 because it really sets the stage for that which we're going to be looking at this morning, however far we may get into it. I know we'll have um, probably at least one other message on this um, this passage, maybe two. Um, the last two chapters it may take us through the end of the year, and it may not, I don't know. I've been kind of looking at it, but it's hard for me to determine those things. When I don't know where the Lord's going to what it's going to bring out from a text. But Acts 27, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And um, let's just read through, let's see here, verse number, let me get my bearings here, 25. So we'll read through verse 25. I know it's a lengthy passage, but I want you to get the, the whole... Uh, picture. Acts 27, beginning in verse 1, and when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, notice that word determined. And here man's determining something. These men have determined that they're going to sail into Italy. They delivered Paul and certain other prisoners under one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. And entering into a ship of Adridium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One Aristarchus a Macedonian of Thessalonica being with us. So here again, we're once, we're once again reminded of the fact that Luke is the one who is narrating this story. He's the one that's writing this. And he's saying that with me, Paul is Aristarchus, uh, a fellow Christian. Verse number three, And the next day we touched Sidon, and Ju- Julius courteously entreated Paul. If you can imagine a centurion, a Roman centurion, given charge over a prisoner, treating him courteously to begin with, but then even beyond that, gave him liberty there in that place to go to his friends to refresh himself. So fellow Christians there that he was able to visit. Imagine a Roman uh, centurion, you know, just taking a prisoner on. He doesn't really know Paul as far as we know. Now, of course, there's a, there's a chance that, that this man Julius may have been there in the court. He may have been one of, he may have been a centurion over these hundred men that were assigned to Festus. So maybe he's been there in the court proceedings. He's seen Paul. He's seen how that Festus has treated Paul. Paul's at liberty there um, in the governor's uh, place. And so he's continuing this. But um, pretty remarkable thing to think about a guard giving um, a prisoner such, such liberty and treating him courteously. Verse number four says, And when we had launched from thence, we sailed unto Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship. They had to change ships because the ship they were on wasn't going all the way to Italy. It wasn't a nonstop flight. They were going to have to have a layover. And uh, there the centurion, in verse number 6, found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy. And he put us therein. And when we sailed slowly many days and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against uh, Salmon. And hardly passing it, came into a place which is called the Fair Havens. Sounds like a nice place, doesn't it? Nigh whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous, you know, they knew when it, was, when it was a good time of the year to sail and when it wasn't a good time of the year to sail. Um, we can imagine that possibly it could have been hurricane season. Hurricane season was upon them. Not a good time to be out in the ocean. We don't have the type of equipment, or they didn't have the type of equipment then that we do now. They couldn't see those things. They just knew this is a bad time of the year to be on the ocean. You don't want to be caught out there in one of those things, um, unless you just really have to be. 
But um, we're told, and this is probably common knowledge, Paul probably knew this, that it was time of the, time of the, the year was uh, gone for sailing because the fast was now already passed. Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage. And they've already met with some contrary winds. And not only the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. We're, we're hazarding our, we're hazarding the ship, we're hazarding the cargo, we're hazarding our lives if we continue. Nevertheless, in verse 11, it says the centurion believed the master or the owner of the ship more than those things which are spoken by Paul. And in a natural sense, we can kind of understand this. I mean, here's this man that owns the ship. You know, he's wanting to get where he's going. He's got cargo. He's going to make money when he delivers it. You know, surely, you know, he knows what he's doing. And so the centurion believed him over the things that were spoken by Paul. But Paul, here's a man that's not just a natural man. Here's a man who has the Spirit of God within him. Here is a man who belongs to the God of heaven. And here's a man who's already seen there's some contrary winds that we've already come up against. And I think that it would be best for us to winter and harbor here until this time of the year passes and then we can go on. If we, if we go now, we're going to hazard our lives and the ship. <clears throat> but the centurion believed the master of the ship, saying, you know, they were all, oh, no, no, no. And why is it that they didn't want to stay there? Verse number 12 tells us. Why would they want to not want to stay in a place called Fair Havens? Sounds nice. But it says because the haven was not commodious to winter in. Why was it not commodious to winter in? What was not, what was, what was not commodious about it? Well, maybe there weren't plenty of alehouses. You know, maybe there weren't plenty of places for them to fritter away and waste their time during the winter while they're waiting for the sailing season to begin again. We don't want to stay here. We'd like to make it to somewhere else that has better accommodations than this place does. Seems to be the sense in which we find this here. The more part advised to depart from thence also, not just the master of the ship, but the sailors too, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice. That's where they wanted to get to. If we can get at least that far, we'll, we'll winter there. Which is a haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, here they, they're taking off now. Paul's told them, don't go. Master of the ship saying, no, we can make it. The sailor's saying, come on, that's not a good place to stay. And here the south wind's blowing softly and they think, all right. You know, Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Everything's fine. I mean, it's soft wind blowing. We're going to make good time, and we're going to get to where we want to go. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. This is a northwestern that was blowing in. I mean, this is a hurricane force, you know, thing that's coming against them now. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, they had to just let it go and let it dry. Let the wind take it wherever it was going to take it. And running under a certain island, which is called Claudia, or Clauda, rather, we had much work to come by the boat. There was a boat they were had in tow. And they, probably full of water, they were trying to get it up into the big boat. Which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship. I mean, this, this thing was so bad... This storm was so bad that they were even having to take ropes and cables and run them underneath the boat to gird the boat together. They were afraid that the, the waves and the wind were so bad it was going to break the ship apart. And so then in verse number 17, they undergirded the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they strake sail and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest the next day, they lightened the ship. We're still going to try to salvage this, this voyage if we can. We're in Acts 27 and verse number 18. And here we are, we're trying to, to do our thing. We're trying to make our plans and our determination that we started with there in verse number 1. That's the thing we want to do. And whatever it takes to do it, we're going to do it. We're undergirding the ship. We're doing everything we have to do to make this thing work. And even to the point that we find them in verse number 18, you know, the things that we had in the ship that we would profit by, we're going to start casting those overboard, start trying to save 
ourselves. The third day it says they cast out with their own hands the tackling of the ship, the things used to steer and sail the ship. They started throwing those things overboard too. You know, At first trying to save their comforts. Secondly, trying to save the ship. And then thirdly, we find them trying to save their lives. It comes to that point. Verse 20 says, And when there was neither sun nor stars in many days appearing, and no small tempest lay on them, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. That's a good place to be. As you get to the place where there's nothing I can do. There's nowhere else for me to turn but to God. That's a good place to be. Doesn't feel good, but it's a good place to be. At least it doesn't feel good until we see the Lord come and save us with His mighty hand. But verse 20 says that after a long abstinence, these men hadn't been eating, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall not be no loss of, or should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. How do they know this? Verse 23 says, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, those or thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given them, or thee, all them that sail with you. You can imagine Paul during this time being the man that he was. He was praying for himself, praying for Aristarchus, praying for Luke, and praying for all these men in the ship. And God grants that their lives be spared also. So he says in verse 25, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. And um, we'll just uh, we'll stop there, because we're not going to be able to get really even that far. But that gives you an idea of these men's determination to begin the voyage and their determination to salvage the voyage and the end of determination to save their lives if possible. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to be with us. Our Father, we bow once again this morning and we ask that, that You would take this time and that You would, Father, make it profitable for us, that You would manifest Yourself unto us, that You would reveal Your Word, Father, unto us, that You would open our eyes that we might see and our ears that we'd hear. And Father, that we'd be more than just hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word, Father. Pray that You'd help us to glorify You in all that we do. Pray that you would be exalted, that you would be glorified this morning as we meet together, that you would be high and lifted up in our midst, that we would see you as you are, that you would uh, give us understanding, that we would see our hope and what it is in Christ, and that we would, Father, be encouraged, and that, Father, we would uh, find instruction this morning that would help us in days to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, the title of the message, it was determined, taking from this from verse number one, it was determined that we should sail. Uh, they could have gone by land, surely parts of the way, um, but they determined that they should sail. We'll make the best time if we sail, uh, perhaps. We, we need to get there. We want to get there before um, the sailing season's over, and if we make good time, we'll, we'll be there sooner than if we went by land. And... and um, we, we do make decisions. We do make determinations. We do, um, we are required uh, to do that. You got up this morning, you made a decision whether or not to go to church, come here, meet with God's people. Some people determined not to do that. We make decisions, is my point. But we have this account before us, and anytime we read Scripture, we ought to ask ourselves, why is this here? Why did God choose to include this instance of shipwreck in Paul's life for us and what is there there that we can glean from it uh, with this voyage that Paul is on to Italy to go up here before Caesar is it just a good story you know, JD's already kind of mentioned this this morning is it just of historical importance that we uh, know the names maybe of some of these islands you know what they were before um, other things of that nature or is there truly instructional value for us um, that we'd place value upon it as we read this and ask the Lord to give us some understanding and help us to 
uh, glean knowledge and understanding from those things that we are reading. So here, here are these men determining to do something, deciding to do something. You know, decisions, decisions. We all make them. Uh, where we work, who we marry, who our friends are, um, what we're going to do this afternoon, you know, what we're going to do tomorrow. We all have plans. We all devise things and we make provisions for those things. Um, you know, I, I need to make provision for Rebecca and Andrew and Anna and Lydia if they ever want to go to college. You know, I need to, you know, that's something that they decide they want to do. I, I need to make provision for that. Well, that's there for them. You know, it may turn out that they never go. But if that's something that looks like in the future is a possibility, I ought to try to plan for it. But decisions must be and are made, and we must decide who, what, where, when things are going to be done, how they're going to be done. Uh, we do it every day. Every single day we do that. And that's really where we start with in this passage is this decision-making process and the decision that these men have made to set sail. God's given us a brain, and we are to think. you got to think about what you do. God's told you a lot of things that you ought to do. God's told you a lot of things that you ought not to do. And that has to have great impact upon the decisions that we make. Um, if we're not doing that, then we know we've already made some wrong decisions. But it's good for us to anticipate things in the future that may happen and seek uh, to make provision for them. It's a necessary thing that, that we must do. And the thing about it is, we're not the only ones making decisions. I mean, the, here's the Roman centurion we read about. He's the one, ultimately, he's taken control of this vessel. He's ultimately the one that's got to make the decision. Are we going to go or are we going to stay? And here's Paul saying, we shouldn't go. Here's the sailors saying, we don't want to stay here. This isn't a good place to stay. We're not going to have any fun. You know, there's nothing that we can consume upon our lust in this place. You know, yeah, it's a fair haven. We'll be okay here from the storm. But we're not going to have any time. We don't want to stay in this place. Let's make it to the next stop. You know, be a lot better. So there's a lot of other people making decisions that have a bearing upon the decisions that you make. That old yellow Volkswagen over there at the house. And mentioned something to Jim about getting it and working on it for me. And uh, he said, well, what about this day? Well, guess what? There was about three or four times that we were going to get together. There were things that were happening in his schedule and things were happening in my schedule that just weren't going to work out and we couldn't do it. And it happened at the appointed time. There was an appointed time when both of our schedules were the same. We said, yeah, we can do it now. But other people have make decisions. Other people do things that affect the way that we'll make our own decisions, even though we may have determined, today I'm going to do this. Well, somebody else may do something that changes you know, your determination. So who does know? Who does know what's going to happen today? We make plans, but who does know? Who determines this? I think it's a necessary question for us to know the answer to. You know, I make decisions. And within the bounds of that which God has given me in His Word to make those decisions by, the wisdom and counsel that He's given me, I'm, I'm in a sense, free to make those decisions. But ultimately, you know, I I understand that that God, I may make a decision that God says, no, that's not what's best for you. Because I can't see everything. There may not be anything inherently wrong with what I'm, what I'm thinking about that I'm wanting to do or how I'm wanting to do it, but it may not be an appropriate time. You know, there's times when you know, I've wanted to say things to people that I felt like needed to be said at a particular time, but then the Lord causes something to happen that those words don't get said. And I have to stop saying, well... Maybe I need to pray a little longer about this and wait upon the Lord in this and see if maybe the time that I thought was best wasn't necessarily the time and the Lord's going to provide some better time down the road for us to address this issue and for us to talk about this that's going to make a greater impact upon the person that needs to be told the thing or maybe impact upon me that needs to be told the thing uh, because the Lord's kept us from being able to say it when we would have said it. So... We make these decisions, but we're also called to interact with the sovereignty of God. And we've freely chosen to do this thing, but God may say, not now. God may say, wait. Or God may say, no. 
There are some passages that I wanted to read in conjunction with this thought. One I had sent to you in relation with the election that happened uh, just recently, and most of you may not have voted for the person that is in office, uh, but he's the man that God's given us. And what makes that comforting is passages like Proverbs 21 and verse 1. That's one of the passages that I sent to you. If you want to turn over there and read that, uh, Proverbs 21, that's page 498 in your pew Bible. Verse number 1, it says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Who established the direction that the waters were going to flow and to run? God did that. God did that. And the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And the king may, the king may decide, I'm going to do this. And it's like that, that river full of water. It's running. It wants to run. And it's running. And the king's decided to do this thing. But God says, I'm the one that turns the river whithersoever I wish. And there are things that can be brought to bear upon that king's decision or president's decision, as it may be, that can change the course of the decision that that man made and what he decided he wanted to do. You know, it's kind of like getting on... We, we can pull out of the parking lot here on the FM 355 and I decide I want to go right now, but another car may be coming and change my decision to leave right at that particular moment. I'm going to have to wait until the way is clear. Or I may decide I'm going to go... I'm going to take, take a left and I'm going to run down here towards... Um, Lawrence's and then maybe you know hit 356 and go to Long Alaska and there may be a detour and I may not be able to take that road that I was going to take so there are other factors involved I want to set you understand that I know you know that but I want to set that in your minds as we look at this and we see verses like we see here in Proverbs 21 verse 1 that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord it's not necessarily that, that God's making the king think a certain thing. You know, the king's thinking this, I'm going to do this, but God causes things to be set in motion that the thing the king wanted to come to pass does not come to pass. You think about Saul who went through the life of David. And I've much wanted to go back and, and uh, visit some of those things again. <clears throat> a lot of the time that we were there was when Teresa was sick and there were so many things going on in our lives. I'd like to go back it's hard for me to remember some of those things that happened. I mean, I, the big picture's there, but the little details, and I wish I'd kept a journal uh, during that time. But to go back and see some of the things that the Lord did. But Saul is pursuing David with all of his might and wants to kill him. You know, that is in the heart of King Saul, to kill David. He does not want him to succeed to the throne. He feels like that belongs to my son, Jonathan. He wants to kill David. But things happen. But the Lord causes it to take place that Saul is not able to accomplish his purpose. I mean, that in itself right there shows us that God overrules and overrides in these things. Some other passages. And really they're both in Proverbs. Chapter 16 is the next one. Proverbs 16. That speak to this sort of thing that we're looking at. Page 495, verse number 33, Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, you, you, may, you may come into a situation where this is my lot in life. This is what's set before me. This is the thing that, that I'm going to have to face. This is the thing that I'm going to have to deal with. This is the thing that I'm going to have to endure. But the whole disposing of it. I don't need to lose hope. I don't need to lose faith. I need to, I need to regain in those situations where I'm in a place of unbelief my confidence in the fact of what this says that the whole disposing thereof 
is of the Lord. Look at Paul's situation. He's a prisoner, has been for two years. He's set on a boat as a prisoner, is being sent to Italy to appear before Caesar. That is his lot in life at this particular time. How is this going to turn out? What's going to be the outcome of this? The whole disposing. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. It's not of Agrippa. Not of Festus. It's not of Felix. Not of these men that decided that the best thing is to send Paul to Caesar. The disposing thereof is not of them. It is of the Lord. We can decide to do and there's nothing wrong with making decisions to do things. Making plans and provisions. We ought to plan but we ought to do it prayerfully. Prayerfully. But God determines the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. It's of Him. Whenever we finish in here and we go to eat in there in a moment, a lot of times I'll go back here to the taper and finish up some things. I could decide I'm going to walk through that doorway. But somebody could meet me at that doorway and I might make it through it. Or I could have a heart attack back there and not make it in there to sit down at the table and eat. The whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. A man may devise his way. Turn to... Well, you're in Proverbs 16, but look at verse number 9. Look what verse 9 says. Same page. A man's heart deviseth his way. Here, I've made a decision. I've determined to do this. A man's heart deviseth his way. But look what it says. The Lord directs, and we could go through many more passages. But just in this one book alone, I think it's enough to establish this fact. It says here that the Lord, a man devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. They had devised, we're going to take these prisoners to Italy by way of ship. And they were going to go a certain direction. They were going to make the, you know, the, the, the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line, as straight as they could. They were going to make that trip. But the Lord directed their steps and they didn't end up where they thought they were going to. The significant thing is that God is behind it all. You know, we, we sing that hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And one of the one of the, the, the verses there talks about behind the frowning providence. You know, he hides a smiling face. God is there. There's this lot that's been cast upon us, but God's behind the entire thing, the entire time. And there is a smiling face there because he knows. If you're his child, he knows the intended end that he's intended to bring you to. And it's only for your good. It may not feel that way at the time, but it's only for your good. So the significant thing that we need to understand and keep in our minds as we go through this, as we look at this this, uh, passage here, is the fact that God is behind all of these things. I mean, from Paul's imprisonment to Paul's being put on a ship to Aristarchus and Luke. What a comfort. I mean, to think about here you are. um, I mean... I don't think it needs to mind me using Travis as as a as an illustration in, in relation to Paul. Here he is in jail now. Aristarchus and Luke chose to join themselves to Paul in his condition. Here he is a prisoner to be of comfort to him, to be of encouragement to him. I mean and and how that will could be a blessing to Travis for the Lord to bring those types of men. An Aristarchus or a Luke. We ought to pray that. That the Lord bring an Aristarchus and a Luke into Travis's life as he's going through these next however many years or however long it is that he's going to be in prison. That he would bring such men into his life to be that kind of a blessing that these men were unto Paul. That'd be a good thing for us to pray. But, you know, from that to... Them deciding we're going to sail this way and the Lord sending a contrary wind saying, no, you're going to sail that way. 
to the point that they say, well, we're going to salvage everything we can and we're going to get to this point. And finding out, no, we're going to throw everything overboard and try to save our lives. To the point that the soldiers advised the centurion, we've got to kill all, we read this part, we've got to kill all the prisoners. Because as far as Rome was concerned, if you were a soldier and you let a prisoner escape, you die. So as far as they were concerned, we're going to kill all the prisoners, you know, and then at least our lives will be saved. We won't have to worry about them. But God even gave Paul favor in the sight of Julius, who said, no, we're not going to do that. Wanting to spare Paul's life, we're not going to do that. And in sparing Paul's life, spare those other prisoners' lives. And who knows what kind of an impact Paul might have had in their lives later on because he was in prison there with them in Rome. So, God is in all of these things. That bothers some people. Some people don't like that. They would rather leave all the things that happen in our lives to something like we call chance. Evolution, Big Bang, all these types of things. It's all chance. God's not in control. This is all because of the way things have happened and come together. God didn't do those things. This is the way they turned out. I don't know about you, but for my part, I am glad and rejoice in the fact that God is over all of these things. That I may make a decision and God say, no, that's not what's best for you, Russell. I'm not going to allow you to do this because it wouldn't be good for you and it wouldn't be good for those around you. And that's another point. Decisions we make affect a lot of other people. How careful we ought to be to make those decisions prayerfully and make sure that what we're doing is the thing that God would have us to do because the impact of that thing, no matter how small you might think it is in your life, can impact a whole bunch of people around you adversely and vice versa doing the thing that God would have us to do what kind of an impact might that make in a positive way people around us but a man devises his way but the Lord directs his step God is behind it all they decided to sail along the course of Asia they prepared for the trip they prepared for problems, I'm sure, that they might have. I mean, they had those cables and ropes to undergird you know, the ship. They knew they might get into a storm. These were seasoned sailors. They prepared for what they might encounter along the way. But above all these was the fixed and determined will of God. God's will will be done. You remember Brother Johnny came to us and he preached that message about man's will, Satan's will, and God's will. Man's will might sometimes be done. Satan's will might sometimes be done. But only as it runs in the same course with God's will. God's will will be done. There's no doubt about it. His will will be done. There was, um, I was listening to Brother Conrad, and he was talking about a professor at a college um, or seminary I brought a message and a lady came to him afterwards and she said, are you suggesting that what is to be will be? And he asked her a question in return. He said, you're not suggesting that what will be won't be. You know, you know, what God's will is, is gonna ha- it's going to be. You know, what, what controls? Is it less chance? Is it what if? Or is God behind it all? What will be, will be. And why will it be? It's because God wills that it be that way. And boy, how much frustration we can save ourselves when we understand that. These men suffered the loss of their ship. They suffered the loss of their cargo. They hazarded their very lives. If God hadn't spared their lives, they would have all perished because they decided they knew better. And they would do the thing that they wanted to do. So the real debate in the world today is over the fact of who or what determines things. And all around us, this is, this is going on all the time. Who or what determines? Does man determine? Man can determine to do some things, but guess what? And this is what gives me peace about the condition of our country at this time. I pray for my leaders. pray for my employer. I pray for those in positions of authority and rulership over me. But guess what? You know, I, may not, I may not like them and then agree with them. Their policies... Guess what? God's over it all. The heart of the king's in his hand. 
like the rivers of water. He turns it whithersoever he wishes. And if that means that this, this country is brought to its knees, we're no longer a world power, you know, we're no longer in a place of prominence and preeminence over the other nations of the world, if it means that we're, that we're brought into captivity by some other nation, if God wills, that's what's best for us. You better bow before it. Or you're going to be beating your, your head against the wall trying to change things that God says this is the way it's going to be. The world likes what um, if and chance rather than it does God. Chance denies the hand of God in all things. You know, there are no odds. People want to talk about the odds. There are no odds. God's in control. His will is going to be done. There's no chance there. It's going to happen. It, it's... It is set in stone. It's not going to change. No odds there. The only hopeful answer to who or what causes things is God. And so we can relax. God's in control. Ordering things. Even if we have to hitch a ride on a ship to appear before Caesar, because that's where God's determined that we be, and we have to hitch that ride on a ship that's not sailed by other Christians and we have to in a sense put ourselves in into their decision making uh, processes because Paul did but we need to understand over and above it all whatever decisions they make God's in control so a man's heart devises his way but the Lord's and we're just going to get into some introduction to this um, this morning and I'm mentioning these things merely to bring out and illustrate pointedly that man determines but God directs. God is directing. God is overruling in all of these matters. And that is greatly welcomed understanding to have as a child of God. If we are not to go a certain direction, I mean this is, we all have to make decisions. And here I am in a place of having to make a decision. If I am not to go in a certain direction, you know what I want to happen? The very thing that happens in our narrative here, in the story here. Contrary winds started to blow. Lord, if you don't want me to go that way, let the contrary winds blow. Show me. Let me know. And let me have the wisdom when those contrary winds blow, stop and say, wait a second here. Is this what God would have me to do? Where are these winds coming from? Is this something God sent to change the direction of the way that He'd have me to, to go or the way He'd have me to think or what He'd have me to do? Let the contrary winds blow and let us, with Paul, determine it'd be better to winter here in fair havens than to press you know, our decision and to press our purposes and to go on and to find ourselves in a position of greater loss than we would have been had we stayed in the place that God provided for us and prepared for us. Again, let me take another passage, another verse from Proverbs. Um, let's read it to you. Chapter 3 and verse number 6 says, In all thy ways acknowledge Him. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. So, whatever it is, in all your ways, Acknowledge Him. We've got people here in the congregation this morning that aren't married. There's a way. Who would God have you to marry? Would God have you to marry? And we just, a lot of us automatically assume, assume I'm going to get married one day. Well, you may not. Brother Dean, how old are you? 62. Never been married. That is the lot up to this point, not saying that Brother Dean wouldn't get married. I know he probably can't imagine. It's probably hard for him to imagine that happening at this point. But that has been Brother Dean's lot in life. In this life. He's been given a lot up to this point of living without a mate. Not a bad thing to have one, but not necessary. Paul was not married. Serve the Lord. So, you know, there, there are things that we have set before us that we need to acknowledge God 
You know, I have to admit, whenever I was a freshman in high school, I started to pray the Lord lead me to the person that He would have me to marry. You know what didn't enter my thoughts at that time, J.D.? The fact that I might never get married. You know, I just automatically, I'm going to get married. I want to marry the person the Lord would have me to marry. That's good. But what about the fact that I may, maybe, I, you know, maybe I'm not going to get married? I, I just don't know. The Lord knows. In all of our ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. How often we're presented with a possibility, or maybe multiple possibilities, and we pray this, Lord, open the door that no man can shut, and shut the door that no man can open, even me. If this is where you'd have me to go, there's no man that's going to be able to shut this door and keep me from going through it, because this is your will. But if this is not where you'd have me to go, I don't even want to open that door. Shut it where nobody can open it. I don't want to walk through it. I don't want to be there. Direct my path and guide my feet in the way I should go. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. We all do not always do this and it is likely the reason for a lot of frustration. A lot of loss. We may have determined to do a certain thing, but is this what God is directing? This is what we're seeing here in, in this that we have before us with this voyage. How often we found ourselves determining to do something only to find obstacles at every turn. You get up in the morning, I'm going to do this. and All throughout the day, and it just doesn't happen. And I keep trying, I keep trying, I keep trying, and it's just not happening. Why is it not happening? I need to be able to stop. I need to be able to humble myself as a child, J.D. was talking to us about this morning, with understanding, this understanding that we're talking about here, that God's in control, and these contrary winds might be blowing, and I might, be to, I might need to stay in fair havens. I might not need to venture out. This thing that I'm determined to do, I might not need to do today. We need to be able to wait upon God. We need to ask Him to direct. We need to bow our will before His. I don't know if this meets any of us this morning. I know it, it meets me certainly in things past, if not things present or things future, that I have determined to do, that I found myself um, outside of where I ought to be. And I'm sure you have too. But it says that they put to sea sailing under Cyprus and the winds were contrary in verse number 4 of our text. We all do our best to stay out of trouble. We all do our best to... Jim told me this week, he said, I stay out of trouble because I don't go places that I'll get in trouble. And, you know, that's, that's good. We ought to do that. But we all do try to to stay out of trouble. We try to seek shelter from adversity, make provision for when the wind does blow contrary, that we're not, we're not affected any more than we have to be. And certainly these men are, are busy about that, protecting ourselves. It's only natural. But as a child of God, we face the elements, whatever they may be, the contrary winds or people or financial difficulties, the straits, you know, any of these things, we face these elements with the fact that we're underneath the mercy of God. That God is behind it all. And I'm sure Paul having to entrust his self, in a sense, to these men that were ungodly men, you know, that he, that he comforted himself with that understanding and that knowledge that God is behind all this. God's in it. Things don't always go the way that um, we want them to. Things don't always happen in the time frame that we want them to. Let me tell you, if God's wind is blowing against you, you're not going to make any headway. If you're going in a contrary direction, the direction He'd have you to go, you're not going to make any headway. You're not going to get ahead. You're going to stay behind. I get up every morning during the week, Monday through Friday, and I determine to go to the office and get a certain amount of things done. 
I have 11 file folders that have been stacking up every day. There's more and more little things that don't get done from the day before that I want to get done. I've got to get all this done next day. It seems growing and growing and growing. And I determine I'm going to get this done today. Well, guess what? I might not. Who's over all that? I mean, that seems like a pretty simple thing, right? I mean, I've got a job. My employer expects me to do it. I'm expected to get a certain amount of things done in a day. But you know what I find myself doing? On a daily basis, Lord, help me here. Bless the time. I, I've got to get these things done. You know, I'm, I'm determined to do it, but I'm not going to get it done unless you help me. Because otherwise, there's going to be interruptions. There's going to be all kinds of things happen. And there's some things that I know that I can do to help myself, like stay in my chair. If I get up and I go anywhere in the building, I guarantee you I'm going to get stopped by somebody, whether it's a coworker or a, a client at the window, and it's going to eat, you know, 30, 45 minutes out of my day that I could have finished maybe two of those files, you know, in that time frame. So we determine things, but I'm not ignorant of the fact that all of these things are in the hands of the Lord. And contrary winds may blow at times, and I need to be able to, to sit and wait. I need to be able to say, okay, Lord, if I need to stay here in Fair Havens, then so be it. It may not be the most comfortable place for me. You know, those sailors certainly didn't want to stay there. They didn't have all the, all the creature comforts, you know, that they were accustomed to in the bigger seaports that they might have um, wanted to enjoy throughout the winter. But I'm not going to make any headway. If I, if I sail out of Fair Havens, I'm not going to make any headway. You know, they were even further off course. They had to let the ship drive itself whichever the way the wind was blowing them. And I want to be sensitive to the promptings of God's Spirit when He blows. When you think about when the Bible speaks of wind often, you know, that's, that's a symbol of the Spirit of God. And I want to be sensitive when the Spirit of God moves me to do a certain thing and not do my own thing. No matter how well thought out I think that I have uh, determined that it is to do it. I'm only going to get so far at the end of the day as God permits. I need to realize that He is over it all. They had hoped to sail from Caesarea to Rome, but they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. We find ourselves fighting the current. What we ought to do is take advantage of the fact that there's some resistance here and say, Lord, help me to understand. Lord, help me to know what it is that you'd have me to do. Lord, help me to see, is this the correct course that I need to be taking? It became evident to them that they would not make it. Those contrary winds now had become winds that stopped them all together and sent them in another direction. God had brought them to fair havens, but they weren't satisfied. They would not wait. They would not listen to Paul. Let us not despise the goodness of God and the place He's provided. I used to tell Ryan when I was working at the insurance agency, and it was hard there. You know, any job's difficult. It has its own little idiosyncrasies about it, things that are hard. Maybe it's the clients. Maybe it's the people you work with. Maybe it's the job itself. But I'd tell him all the time. I said, I don't want to jump out of the frying pan you know, into the fryer. God's appointed this place for me to be for you know, however long it is. And I want to be here for that appointed time to learn what it is that he would teach me. I want to stay in fair havens, in other words, to use what we read here. As long as God would have me. I want to win her there. I don't want to win her somewhere else. They saw the winds were favorable for a while. And they thought that they had um, you know, their hopes established and they were going to make it. Felt like they were right. And, um, that Listening to that preacher, that wasn't something they ought to do. But the storm hit and it stopped them. What would you do? What would I do if God hadn't stopped us? I mean, think about your life before you came to know Christ as your Savior. Before you came to a place to see Him as your sufficient sacrifice in the sight of God for your sins. What would you have sailed into? We would all sailed right into hell. Every one of us. 
if God hadn't stopped us. When he stops us, we need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, carry me where you would have me to go. Do what you would have me to do. But before we come to that place, what do we do? We all do it. We've all done it. We may still do it even now as believers. Before we come to that place where we say, Lord, carry me wherever you would have me to go, we find ourselves like these men trying to salvage everything we can of our ruined plans. Things are just not going the way I want them to go. I'm trying to salvage everything I can out of it. And then we see we can't save it all, and we start to throw things you know, overboard to where we get to the point where we, show up, we throw over even the tackle. We say, Lord, I'm not even going to try to steer anymore. I don't even want to try to direct this boat. You know, I, don't want to, I don't want to stand at the helm any longer. I want you to steer. I don't want to put my hand on the wheel. I want you to take me. I want you to direct me. I want you to keep me. So at that point, they turned it over to God. And that's a good place to be. They didn't know where they were. You know, we read there, the, they couldn't even see the sun. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't, they couldn't chart their course. They couldn't even tell where they were going. You think about Abraham. God called him. He followed the Lord, not even knowing where he was going. You think about the children of Israel in the wilderness. They were following that, that cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And these men were in this, in this position. Lord, you direct. You steer. They didn't even know where they were going. They were hopeless to help themselves. And they were, they were where they needed to be. To rest in nothing but God's mercy. All these things have happened. To bring us to God. If you come to a place where you know Him, all these things that happen in your life to bring you to that place. Where you are like these men, even throwing the tackle overboard. Saying, Lord, whatever your will is, do it. To bring us to a place such as this, what a good place it is to be, where we're bowed before Him. And like I said, we're just I'm just setting some thoughts before you. Just interesting something. There's some more things that, that we want to bring out uh, from this twenty seventh chapter of the book of Acts, but just setting this voyage that these men are on in these terms and applying it unto you know, the journey that we're on and the place that we're headed. You know how to get there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm headed to the celestial city. I know it's a straight and narrow path. I need the Lord to guide my feet or I might turn off on some byway. My, my foot might be turned to the right or might be turned to the left. It may look pretty straight to me. But I need the Lord to keep me on that straight and narrow. Keep me where He'd have me to be. Let's stand. And these men were certainly brought into that condition.